$1,000 from the CPB, which represents 20 to 25% of our budget. The loss of these funds would have a devastating effect on WERU and on hundreds of community radio stations across the country. Contacting our congressional delegation using their website email forms is an effective way to voice your concerns on this important issue. Extensive information on how you can get involved in the effort to save the Corporation for Public Broadcasting is available at 170millionamericans.org and weru.org. Support for Talk of the Towns comes from Fields Pond Audubon Center, a green design nature center in Holden. Fields Pond has a year-round nature store, lake access, and offers educational programs about habitat conservation for people of all ages. More information at mainaudubon.org or 989-2591. It's 9.59 and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online everywhere at weru.org. Talk of the Towns with your host Ron Beard is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities, to share what works, to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. My name is Spencer Joyce and I grew up on Swans Island, Maine. I eat, sleep, and dream lobster. I have ever since I was a kid. Uh, everything about lobster I, I like. I just don't know how to explain it all to you. But I, uh, some people don't love it. My father didn't love it. My father, he didn't really hated it. But yeah, he he might have hated it. But he didn't have anything else too. My father's name was Llewellyn Joyce. I was seven years old when I first got my my first traps, and I only had like five. First two or three years, we we just rode rode punts. And then I think I was like 10, 12 when my father got me a wood motor. I remember it was a five, five and a half Johnson. It was a, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was a long time ago. My father taught me to always make sure that I wasn't the last one out at night. Don't be the last one out. He told me, that's what he used to tell me. Don't, don't always be the last, don't always be the last one out. Make sure you, you come in in time, you know. But of course we didn't. We all, a lot of times we all had to stay till way after dark because we had to make, you know, make the payments and stuff. I always thought he was trying to tell me the thing what to do, but he was actually just trying to do it because he'd already been there and seen it done this way and, as you get older, your mother and father, they start smartening up. You know what I mean? <laughs> when you're a teenager, your father and mother don't know nothing. But as time goes on, geez, you know what? He wasn't quite so dumb as I thought he was. You, you smarten up after a while, I think. When I got out of the high school and I was on, pretty much on my own, he took me in the boat with him. One year, so to learn all the ropes, uh, the ropes of the trade, and then uh, the next year I got a boat when I was 19 years old, and since then I've been on my own. So I didn't plan on being this old so quick because of the stroke. You know, I I was gonna conquer the world between now and I was 75 years old, but that stroke stroke uh, really messed me up. Yeah, I was in uh, March of 2009. Yeah, uh, down in Texas, visiting daughter. Took the motorcycle out for one more run, and I was on it when I hit the stroke. That was uh, not <laughs> that was not good. And then ten days after that, I don't remember nothing. I wanted to be jumping loops by now. I couldn't even walk when I first got home here because I was in a wheelchair for six weeks. But you can't worry about that stuff though. You can't. 
be pissing and moaning about that. Just keep on trucking. I got back aboard the boat in July of this year, but I wasn't supposed to. I, they told me not to even think about going to work till in the fall, but I went because from 4th of July to Christmas is the only time you can make any money, really. I mean, any good money. I was, oh yeah, I was like kid in the candy store. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of people last year when I was getting my traps, get ready, the whole, uh, there was about 15 people showed up and we did the whole thing in one day, all repairing all the traps, done it in one day. Usually you're all one up doing that stuff. Little stuff like that. It's been a big help to me. Uh, that's the way Swan's Island is, you know. I mean, we might be mad at each other about this or that, but when somebody's down and out, and they always, everybody turns out, no matter what. That was the voice of Spencer Joyce <clears throat> talking about his love of lobstering on Swan's Island, part of something called the Swan's Island Memory Project. And we're delighted to have some guests in the studio who could help us understand how that project came about and what it's doing now and what its future might be. Glad to welcome to the studios here on Talk of the Towns, Megan Vigent, who is an island fellow. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Megan. Thanks, Ron. Also in the studio, two members of the Swans Island Historical Society, welcoming back uh, to Talk of the Town, Sonny Sprague and Donna Weigel. 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 Thank you. Sonny, glad to to have you with us. I think one of the last times we spoke with you, um, Jill Goldthwaite was my co-host here on Talk of the Towns, and we were asking you what you were thankful for um, being part of the uh, local community on Swans Island, and that was almost um, 18 years ago. Was it that long ago? It was. It was. So we'll try to resurrect that tape and make that part of the Swans Island Memory Project. Good. But both glad that both of you can be with us. Uh, Megan, we'll start with you. Give us a little bit of background first uh, about uh, yourself and, and the role that you play as an island fellow, and then we'll talk a little later about the, the Island uh, Memory Project. All right. I'll try and make it shorter than one of my interviews. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I'm originally from Michigan, and I um, I started getting into radio documentary at the Salt Institute for Documentary Studies right nearby in Portland. Mm. Um, and after some internships and some independent producing, I uh, I found myself um, looking at this fellowship uh, with the Island Institute on Swans Island, and uh, it looked like a pretty great opportunity to do some documenting. So. so island fellows are throughout uh, Maine's um, uh, inhabited islands, is That's that right? right? Yeah, the year-round um, communities on islands in Maine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, Donna, you're um, kind of a supervisor in this particular project uh, for Megan. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, and, and your connection to Island Institute. Yeah, I'm uh, Megan's advisor, one of Megan's advisors, along with Gwen May, who also lives on Swans Island. And uh, we've been working with Megan for the last year and a half since she arrived on Swans Island um, in the capacity of the Island Institute Fellow. And it's been a privilege to work with her. She's a very talented young lady. And uh, we've been um, um, working on the oral history project, which we're going to hear some more of today, as well as um, rebuilding a a photographic collection on Swans Island that Megan has been instrumental in, in getting going on the island. So it's been a great project for the island, and I'm, I'm pleased to be part of it and pleased to work with Megan. Mm. And Sonny, um, as a, as a longtime resident, um, you saw kind of a, a, a shift happen when the library uh, burned um, that three years ago, about three years ago? Yes, it was. Uh, I wasn't very involved, or I wasn't involved at the old library. Mm-hmm. It's burned down, and finally we realized that we've got to get our act together and look after our past mm. and this was one way of doing it and Megan came on board and we went out uh, trying or obtaining information and whatnot and she's she's done some wonderful things mm. the the island is really upbeat about it so um, Sonny describe Swans Island to those listeners who might not have been there before um, um, it's <coughs> you, you get there by ferry um, usually that's coming from Bass Harbor um, that's the, the way you get, you get there. But describe, you know, the island itself and, and maybe a little bit about its people. Well, we're a fishing community. There's three little communities within the town of Swans Island. There's about 340 or 50 of us year-round, probably 
900, 1,000 in the summer. We're about 7,500 acres. Uh, we go to grammar school on the island. Uh, our freshman year, we, well, now we all go to M uh, Mount Desert Island High School. We, we can go to any high school in the state, but we choose to go to MDI now. Um, <clears throat> basically, we're a fishing community, uh, some carpenters. Uh, there are three churches. Um, it's one of those places that, for those that like it, you really love it and, and, and whatnot. Uh, there was an article written by Peg Bailey, and the title of it was, Swans Island's not for everybody. It isn't like Main Street. Mm. It's more or less laid back. It's a country town. Mm -hmm. I, I met Peg because she was at Mount Desert Island High School and she taught yeah. with my dad. Yeah. Um, um, she was in, involved in adult ed and those kinds of things, but she really did have this long love of, of Swans Island. Um, you grew up there. Tell us a little bit <coughs> about what that was like, and, and th then we can bring it back to the history project. <coughs> Well, it's certainly different than it is today, that's for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. It was, I went to a two-room schoolhouse, and we had none of the things that the children have nowadays, but we spent our time sliding and mm -hmm. skating and whatnot, swimming in the summer. But now it's more organized and everything, and the children now really have a lot better opportunity, I think, than we did. Um, after school, some of us go away. I know I went to boarding school. And a lot don't come back, but the ones that love Swans Island come back and we go fishing. I didn't come back till I was 26 after I got out of the Army. And uh, there's just something about it that draws you back. And uh, mm. I, I, I think if you talk to a lot of people, even though they have gone away and whatnot due to circumstances that most of them consider Swans Island home. And how, what, what were the various ways that you've made a living um, on Swans <coughs> Island? <laughs> so, and, and we'll make it short. We won't okay, well, well, me making a living has been short. <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, I started out in 67 after the Army as a lobster fisherman. Got married in 68. Um, in 73, we formed the Swans Island Fishermen's Co-op, a group of us, and I was the first manager, and... And I went back lobstering after a couple of years. I, I guess I didn't like to have too many bosses. And back in about 1990, there was a salmon farm on the island, which was going under, and I knew it, and you know, anybody would have known it looking at it. And uh, I went out and tried to find some investors and eventually ended up with four other very nice, good people, and we got the farm after, after a while, and I ran that for a while. That was in 93 when we took the farm over, and 2000, we sold to um, Atlantic Salmon of Maine. They eventually sold to a Norwegian company, and I was the manager through that. And finally, they decided that they probably knew as much about growing salmon as I did. And they put me on the road <coughs> talking to, <coughs> excuse me, different organizations and called them up one day and said, you know, I'm going foolish. <coughs> I'm 62 years old, and my brain is still half there, and I'm going to do something. So I'm going to give me boat and traps, and I'm going back lobstering. Mm, mm. And that's what I've done since then. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now I'm hoping that the snow melts and I get my boat or the snow back. Right. And you've taken an interest in, in kind of collecting <coughs> and kind of taking care of the island's history. In a way, I've participated uh, in local government since 68. But as far as me... Personally, this really with with this um, latest thing with Megan, whatnot, it's the first time that I've really been actively involved, and I guess probably my part is that I'm one of the older ones on the island, and <clears throat> maybe I'm the one that tries to pick out the pictures, mm. who is who, and I wish I had a better memory than I have, and I wish I could pick out a lot more than I have, but I, I hope I've helped. Mm. How about um, you, Donna? How did you get um, How did you get to Swans Island to start with, and then how did you get involved in this project? Well, actually, um, what brought me to Swans Island was um, a number of years ago, probably 1987, I believe, was my first trip to Swans Island with my husband, and um, just immediately fell in love with it, as so many people do when they visit the island. 
And after a few years, um, you know, we talked about buying a place there to have a, a place of our own. And uh, we did buy an old lobsterman's house um, in 2001 and uh, never intending really to move to the island year-round, but circumstances happened that, that that's how it ended up for us. And so we did move to the island, and we've been there for about 10 years now. And um, the history of the island is so rich and so varied that it's almost impossible to not have an interest in it. It's what makes Swans Island so very unique. And um, so I, I've always kind of been interested in, in the island's past and how, you know, how things evolved through the years. And when, um, um, when Megan came on board, um, we needed someone to act as an advisor. So myself and Gwen May uh, decided we would take on those roles. And I have learned so much more about Swans Island, Swans Island's history since Megan arrived on the island. Um, the uh, photographic collection that we now have, which is a digital collection, is wonderful. And the oral history recordings that Megan has been able to um, complete are really uh, wonderful as well. And so I, I think you just get swept up in it, really. You know, you listen to the stories that, that the old-timers tell, and it's hard not to fall in love with the history of Swans Island. Mm-hmm. Or the history of any place. And I think that's one, one of the things where we, we hope that this program is doing, is inspiring people to take a look at their place and seeing, mm-hmm. oh, how could we better protect um, the memories and the history of, of, of a place. You're tuned to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. Um, we're looking at the Swans Island uh, Memory Project, and we have our guests in the studio. You've heard from uh, Donna Weagle and Sonny Sprague, and now we'll turn to Megan Vigent, who is an island fellow. Um, Megan, how did you get started in, in, in radio? What, or, or thinking about radio documentaries as something that you would like to do, and then you, you took that interest to the, to the Salt Institute. I've always had a deep interest in storytelling. Um, ever since I was pretty young, I was in theater a lot. Um, that's what my Bachelor's of Arts is in as well. Um, and I, I had done that for a while and was kind of seeking out what I wanted to do. Um, and I'd always also grown up with uh, NPR and also the Canadians um, have the CBC. Um, list, grew up listening to both those stations in Detroit area and um, really saw that ra- public radio was doing some um, storytelling, storytelling of, of real people's voices, and that really fascinated me. Um, and uh, so I kind of did some research and, and found SALT and um, really haven't turned back. They, pretty in- they instilled a pretty good addiction to... Uh, doing this kind of work in me. So I've um, been seeking out opportunities. So you arrived on Swans Island about um, a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. What were some of the first um, uh, things that you did to try to get things started with this project? I had a lot of help when I first arrived on mm-hmm. Swans Island. I think, you know, Donna did a really nice job of introducing me to the community. Um, and then I, I had help from people uh, I'd like to call my Swans Island historical reference team. Um, uh, Study and Donna here are part of that, as well as uh, my other advisor, Gwen, and um, another selectman, Dexter, um, who really spent a lot of time with me, um, helping me to uh, learn who, um, who holds these stories, who has connections to the quarry, or who, um, you know, whose family used to uh, run um, uh, a hotel on the island or, you know, different different aspects of the history and who I could talk to about that. And so um, they were really my, my gateway to the community. So it was first kind of mapping out the community, mapping yeah. out some of the relationships and some of the possible stories, mm-hmm. and then you had to go out and take your recorder out and talk with people. What was that like? When you, did you get an introduction from, from these two guys, and, and, or did you just kind of knock on doors or call people up? Sometimes I called people who I didn't, hadn't yet met. Um, but most of the time I had, I had gone to kind of, um, community events Mm -hmm. where I might have met them in the past. And then that was kind of like, oh, hi, do you remember me? I'm the Island Fellow. As the Island Fellow, you're kind of, um, in a unique position. I think that you're, um, you have this. So you're not the first Island Fellow. Yeah. yeah. People are used to They're familiar (laughs) with that role already. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So that helps. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and how did you gain people's trust that um, you were going to take care of their stories? Did you, um, th- th- these guys kind of bless you, or did you have to do something on your own to earn that trust? Um, <clears throat> probably both. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, uh, you know, when I, when I come in, when I either call somebody on the phone and I ask them for an interview, and, or if I sit down with them uh, once we start, I, I really um, try and take care to make sure that they, that they are comfortable, to let them know what my intentions are with what I'm going to do with it, you know, everything from the big to the small, you know. And, and then I also kind of warn them, it might just sit on a shelf and collect dust. There's no guarantees you're not going to be fam- famous, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> no one's making any money on this, trust mm-hmm. me. Um, and, you know, and, and I, as I'm talking with them about their life, um, you know, sometimes as we get into something um, more uh, deep and thoughtful, I might um, uh, just kind of, aside from just listening, that's usually all you have to do. Um, but sometimes if they need a little bit more, I might reveal something about myself just to let them know I'm, a, I'm another person just like they are. Mm. Um, I haven't really had too many problems with gaining people's trust, there's mm-hmm. there's always a few people who who don't want to participate because they just they're private. They're, yeah, yeah, they've got right. a private life and they sure. just don't feel like sharing sure. it. But um, I think I've I've been pretty surprised at how willing people are have been to share things with me. Mm-hmm. And and there's been a few stories that I didn't imagine I would ever get. Um, so. Mm. And so what's, what um, sh- different shapes have these stories taken? You're doing oral histories, and then mm-hmm. you're kind of using those oral histories as the basis for some other things. Yeah. So talk I guess what I do is kind of a cross between oral history okay. and a documentary approach. Um, you know, I want to get a lot of the background. I want to get all the, you know, the basics of, you know, when you were born and who were your parents and how did they get here and how did you get here and, and you know, what's your life history. But mm-hmm. then... Um, you know, I really, I really, in the, in the end, me, I want a story. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as soon as something pops up or if I already know in advance that there's something about something that happened to them or something that they've done with their life um, that contains good elements of a story, um, I'll kind of hone in on that and, and kind of hound them with questions about it um, if they haven't already just opened up about it because they happen to be passionate about it. So. Mm. Um, yeah, I try and get as many details as I can. I think I interviewed uh, Kevin Staples on the island because he was on the softball team, and um, he had a lot of interesting things about him. You know, he played music, and he, um, you know, he ran these restaurant businesses and things like that. Um, but I wanted to get his story about the softball team because that was like a really unique part of the island's history. And after like 15 minutes of talking about it, he thought he was done. <laughs> and I told him, no, no, I have a whole page of questions for you. So I think I got him to talk for another hour and a half about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Donna, what, what, what are you seeing coming out of this project? You've mentioned the <coughs> photographs that you and Sonny are kind of pouring over and trying to digitize those, but the audio portion, what do you, what do you sense is coming out of this? Well, you know, Ron, I think it's, it's like this. Um, you can go and do these interviews and you can take the CDs and you can put them on a shelf somewhere and, and you can say, well, we've collected these stories from these folks before before it's too late, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that is an important aspect of it. But I think the more important aspect of it is that Megan's uh, skills in the, uh, I guess, the production end of and the editing end, she has taken these interviews, which might last an hour to two hours in length, and she's been able to create these stories that, are, that we've been able to give back to the community. We had um, two summer events this past summer, and one was called Swans Islanders at Work, and one was called Swans Islanders at Play, and they were theme-oriented uh, based on, on those two themes. And we had uh, standing-room-only crowds at our Oddfellas Hall in Swans Island of year-round residents, lobstermen, their wives, summer residents, um, everybody that came out and wanted to listen to these stories. And, and the stories told in the storyteller's own voice is so powerful um, as opposed to someone, you know, reading the story to you or you reading it yourself, just to hear their own voice and their own laughter and, and just the way they tell the story in their dialect is, is, is really so powerful. And it was amazing to watch people at those two presentations this summer, their appreciation for Megan and Megan's hard work and just everything that went in, into making these things happen. 
And I think that's, for me, that's the really important thing. Collect the story, but figure out a way to give it back to the community. And I think that there's been overwhelming support for this project on Swans Island, um, probably more so than any other uh, project that, that has come out of the Historical Society. And so I, I think that's really an important thing for us. And, and hopefully Megan's fellowship does end at the end of this summer. Hopefully that when she goes, we will have in place um, the, the volunteers and trained volunteers to be able to continue this project because there are so many people's stories that we haven't heard yet that we still need to hear. Mm. And Sunny, what do you sense that um, <coughs> Swan Island um, as a community is getting, getting back from participating in this project? What, what I saw Donna's touched upon it was the, the two times last summer at the Oddfellas Hall when afterwards people came up and really looked at you. They looked at you and the, at the history of something special, stuff that they never realized. Mm. And uh, all of the ones that were done are different. And everyone has a little special thing in there that really is part of Swan's Island, mm. whether it's cooking for some of the family or playing the piano or Kevin playing ball. Or it's just a, she's got a sort of a very broad look at the island, I mm. think, with the one she talked to. Well, it seems like there's a, this is a way of bringing um, the past to life <laughs> in, yeah. in some way and, and then celebrating it, these two events that you, you, you held. And you're also uh, making sure that uh, others can take part. They weren't there maybe, but they can visit a website. Um, who's got the information about a website? So if listeners want to go and hear some of these stories themselves, how can they do that? The website is um, swansisland.org slash S-I-M-P for Swans Island Memory Project. So if you were use a search engine, if you put in Swans Island Mem Memory Project, it, um, I, I've done it, so I know okay, it Okay, good. <laughs> I wasn't sure if that's <laughs> it, true or it not. It will come up, and you can kind okay. of look at both these. Um, um, I know that, that you can look at uh, Swans Islanders at work and Swans Islanders at play and kind of get, get some of those stories. And in just a minute, we're going to hear um, a couple of other those uh, those pieces, um, but I'll just um, let uh, listeners know that they're tuned to Talk of the Towns here this morning as we talk about Swans Island, and I called it Recovering Our Legacy. Not recovering so much as the, as the fact that it, it's, it's, it's capturing the legacy, really. And in the studio with us, we have Megan Vigent, who is an island fellow, and she's been the um, producer of these uh, pieces, and along with Sonny Sprague and Donna Weagle, who are both with the Swans Island Historical Society. But um, you want to introduce the, the next piece, um, Megan? Sure. Um, this next piece is called The Last Member of the Band, and it is about Marion Stinson, who uh, learned how to play the piano as a really, really young girl, um, and she learned how to play by ear. She's never been able to read music, um, but she's got a pretty unique flair for it. And when she was a young girl, almost young woman, she, um, she used to play for the Oddfellow Hall dances. This was kind of... Um, Sonny can probably tell you a lot more about the Oddfellow Hall dances. He used to go to them, but um, they uh, they were pretty special event uh, on the island. And where did you interview her? Set the scene for us so we can imagine you talking with. with I her. interview everyone in their home because mm -hmm. I feel that they are most comfortable there. Mm -hmm. So this is this is just sitting around her living room. Great. <laughs> My name is Marion Stinson. There was dances every Saturday night. The band always played, and when I got old enough, I played along with them. I'm the only one, in fact, the only one left that played in the band. My dad could play by ear, and he could play by note. And he showed me the key of C, and that's all he showed me. I was four years old. I went on from there, and and I played the piano at the Oddfellows Hall. I was four years old, and I sang chime bells and yodeled. Ta-da! <laughs> you know, and I've gone on from there and played for dances. I played for all, about all the funerals and all the weddings. And I took lessons for a year and a half, and I still don't know what I took. I have no idea. I just know the, I know the sound of every key. It was a 
some people. Her name was Madri Whitted. Her and her mom had a uh, boarding house. Well, it's just down from the Odd Fellows Hall. And I lived with them all summer long. And we sometimes there would be so many people there, we'd all have to couple together. <laughs> but it was fun. I was right next to the dance hall, you know. And if the big yachts came in, we'd always have a dance for them. Sometimes we'd play two or three dances a week and get $5 a night. Now there was Byron Carter that played the guitar and he had a big drum he thumped his foot with, you know. Then there was uh, Bob Holmes and Dick Holmes, they were twins. One played the banjo, one played the fiddle, but they both could play saxophones. And then there was Mira Lockett, he would play the piano. And Dick Holmes' wife, Maxine, used to play. It was exciting, you know, and you meet a lot of people too. There was a stage where we played, and then there was the dance floor. I have seen it when there was two lines of contra dances, two lines, and the place would be crowded. Of course, there was a little drinking, but you didn't see it. But it was just a fun time. First guy that come along that wanted to dance, I'd you know, I'd leave the piano and go down, and so another guy would play for me, because my fans would get tired, of course, and somebody would come along and want to dance, and I'd jump aboard and dance with them. I just liked it. I liked everything about it, and I liked everything about music. It was fun. As I say, my life was fun. It, there was times that I can look back and kind of smile about things, and sometimes I can frown, but I try to look to the good side of it. There. <laughs> that was um, Marion Stinson, a part of the uh, Swans Island Memory Project, and we're here in the studio talking with our guests, Megan Vigent, Sonny Sprague, and Donna Weagle, all um, working with this project. Um, uh, Megan, what else would you tell us about your, your time with Marion? Um, she sounded like she had a sparkle in her eye. <laughs> she does have a sparkle. Um, she's she's a pretty great lady i think um you know she's always you know welcome to come on over my my mom when she came to visit me w wanted to do her piano practicing and she went over practiced on P marion's piano and the two of them got along fabulously and um yeah she's, she's so is that marion plain in the background that is marion plain mm. yes so that's an, an added piece that you wouldn't get in an oral history you've added mm -hmm. that that piece that really um brings um the whole flavor um right to the fore sunny what do you remember about some of those dances well i remember as a kid <laughs> when we went to the dances where you dressed up in your sunday best um mm -hmm. Your mother taught you how to dance, and she <laughs> led. Mm. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> but as you got older, I remember the country dances Marion's talking about, and Marion could do a country dance. I know that. But the crowd was there. It was a the whole family went basically, and it was just a good time, mm. uh, very good time. And it's one of those things that I guess you remember forever. Mm. Are there still dances on Swan's Island? Very. Very seldom now, mm. and you don't get the crowds. Mm -hmm. But the the music now has changed, and the older crowds don't go and and whatnot. Most of the younger crowds that went to the dances when I was a child, of course, are gone now. And uh, but last summer we had a strange. We had a Swan's Island reunion, and people came back and went to grammar school there, and had a dance that night, and that was a pretty good crowd. And people danced. And in s some of the music they danced to, I found a tape from the Mary Mariners, which used to play in Stonington, mm. and played that during intermission. Mm. And the people started dancing, and they danced all night. Mm. Mm. And so <laughs> That's great. So the, the, the notion of, of these stories that uh, Megan is collecting may, in fact, spark people to do 
<laughs> what they used to do. Um, this could serve as an inspiration, it seems to me, for people to mm. recall those things and say, why don't we do that now? Mm. Mm. Um, Megan, would you like to introduce your next piece? I would. Um, this next piece is The Legend of Clyde Torrey, and you're going to hear uh, a familiar voice now because uh, Sonny Sprague is the storyteller here, not Clyde Torrey. Clyde Torrey has passed on, um, but Sonny, Sonny was a friend of his, and uh, Clyde was kind of Swan's Island's, I don't know if I'm being uh, a little over the top when I say this, but he was probably Swan's Island quintessential character, if I will. Um, he was kind of an eccentric uh, musician and um, uh, kind of, I got the sense that he was pretty well-loved on the island. And um, so we have both, um, this piece features uh, an interview with Sonny, but also some archival um, footage, uh, audio from from some vi from a video as well as some a recording that was made of him in the past. So you'll get to hear s from Clyde as well. Great. And so this is the legend of Clyde Torrey, and and we're going to hear Sonny S Sprague's voice. Everybody knew Clyde. <laughs> no, shut a cigar, drooling down his chin. That's one that's older than we are. Of course, I had it together. A lot of people kind of laughed at Clyde in a way. He was, you know, an old hermit, more or less. And the wintertime was cold. He lived in the car. And Clyde didn't have much, but he was Clyde. I think we got something. You know what I mean? I think we got, we got something. He used to play the accordion. But he'd play and sing, and the people, we'd, we'd all go down. And at the time, we used to call them hoot nannies over to Clyde. And I got to know him, like when I started Scallop and I went started and I couldn't catch nothing. So I took a drag I had over and pulled in the door yeah, and I said, Clyde, can you take a look at my Scallop? And I go, oh, sure, sure. And I remember him saying to me, he, he looked at it and he said, you fool, you fool, you goddamn fool. <laughs> he said, hydraulics, boy, hydraulics. Oh, oh, oh I'll, I'll fix it by and by. I'll fix it by and by. Clyde, I always let you know what side of the toast put the butter on. He used to have an ox and a horse together. He, he's been out here mowing hay on the backfield and he spent a lot of time uh, over there singing and whatnot and country western swing music more or less. Remember one time when I went in the army, someone said, Sonny, there's a sign up on a telephone pole. I bet Clyde's got a sign up. You go look at it. it said, Hoot Nanny tonight in honor of Sonny Sprague going in the army. So Clyde was my friend. One thing I remember about Clyde is that at 1.30 at night, been a dance, calls come in, there's a fire at Clyde's house, can you get the truck, and they don't know where he is. Well, we went over, and the house was totally engulfed, hot. God, it was awful. We fought the fire, and we saved the cellar. About 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning, Clyde showed up from someplace we don't know where. And he's standing there, and didn't have any hat on. And I went over, and I said, Clyde, is there anything I can get you? And he pointed to his hat hat, hat, like that. So here was Johnny Wheaton over there, standing over on the other side, and I said, Johnny, Clyde needs a hat. And he took his hat off, and he said, right here. And I went over and gave it to Clyde, and he put it on, and I said, Clyde, I said, how's that? And he said, perfect. That was his answer. He was satisfied. He had a hat. He'd lost his home, but he had a hat. He suffered on the end of it. He was sick, and he died. And they were bringing him home, and he'd been away to the funeral parlor and all that, and they were bringing him home to be buried. I went to the ferry boat to meet meet the hearse. I'll never forget it. He always used to play the Blue Skirt Waltz, and I'd never heard the Blue Skirt Waltz on the radio. Never heard it. So I go into Atlantic, and went so many trees in, and I could see the ferry boat coming around the point. And the Blue Skirt Waltz came out playing on the radio. I'll never forget it. Never.
don't you think? It was good. He just was Clyde. He just was a character. Back then, everybody made do with what they had. So everybody didn't turn out exactly the same, but they came out being a character, more or less, a little bit different, but just as good as could be. Just as good as could be. That's what radio is supposed to be about. <laughs> thank you, Sonny, and thank you, Megan, for bringing that story to us, uh, the ballad of, or the story of Clyde Torrey. Um, and it reminds us that um, our communities are made up of people who are individuals. And Sonny, you kind of captured it so well. Um, you must have other other um, <coughs> memories of, of Clyde. Anything that you want to share with us now? Um, <laughs> There's a lot of things probably, but <clears throat> Jesse was, I called him my friend. Mm. Um, <laughs> he used to have the horse and the ox, and somehow he had a garden, and he worked for other people. And I remember at his garden, the deer never got in it supposedly, but he never stood his fence up. He laid it down on the side, the, the, uh, you know, the wire fencing. His theory was that the deer stepped on the wire and jumped back. Mm. So we never stood a fence up. And he, uh, I remember at the Oddfellas Hall at a dance. Everybody always talked about Clyde, but it was dance night. And there was a summer lady, Mary Mola was there. And here was Clyde in his three-piece suit on the floor, doing a waltz as good as anybody and better than most. Mm and smiles from one end to the other. And though we think he's, you know, was just the old guy over there in the old house that he probably seen some things that some of us haven't. Mm. Mm. Well, thank you again for sharing those stories. Um, Megan, I'm interested in, in um, your technology. How do, you, how do you collect these stories? Because there may be listeners out there who said, well, how could I do this in my community? What, what, what do you use for equipment and, and uh, then and how do you put it all together? Because I think you're going to have some equipment there um, left over, uh, not left over, but um, it will, which, which will be part of the project going forward. But what do you use for equipment? Yeah, we were um, pretty uh, grateful to have such wonderful equipment that was made possible by a grant, uh, actually two grants from the Maine Humanities Council. Mm. Um, <coughs> after the fire, we kind of sought out different things that, would help us to build the collection, and um, so I, you know, we've been using a, the Marantz PMD six sixty one recorder, mm. which is an excellent machine, mm -hmm. and I love it, and I'm going to miss it when I leave. Um, uh, and we use a um, an Audio Technica MB one K microphone. It's just a cardio dynamic mic. It's it's decent, mm -hmm. um, and um, some good headphones. And I edit with Pro Tools, but. Um, you know, there are other software programs out there that are, are <coughs> very good. And, um, you know, for someone on a learning curve, um, if you've got a Mac, I teach my class with GarageBand. Um, and I find it pretty user-friendly um, for, for newbies. Mm. And um, But there's lots of other good options out there that people can try. Mm -hmm. uh, and how do you prepare yourself to go into an interview um, situation? What homework do you do in advance, and, and what do you do once you're actually there? Yeah, um, I'm fortunate to kind of have this, these great resources in the community that I can go, tell me about Johnny Wheaton. What did he do? You know, who, you know, who are his parents, and you know, what were their connections on the island, and things like that. So I can get some good background before I even talk to somebody. Um, and, you know, I, I guess part of the interview is we just work really slowly into things, start with the really basic stuff, and then um, get into more detailed. Mm. I'll just remind listeners that they can participate as well as we uh, talk about Swans Island and their um, work on the Swans Island Memory Project. Um, you can call us at one 625 
9378. That's 1 866 625 9378 or locally 469 If you've got a question or a comment or perhaps your own experience about collecting um, and preserving your community's history and your community's legacy, um, in the studio with us we have Megan Vigent, who is an Island Fellow along with Sonny Sprague and Donna Weagle. Both are members of the Swans Island Historical Society and helping um, kind of uh, shape this Swans Island memory project. What else would you tell um, uh, folks at the community level who are interested in doing this um, themselves? Um, I would I'd attribute a lot of the success of this project to the community involvement. Um, I think, you know, um, on, on behalf of both the people I interview, as well as the volunteers that I've worked with. Um, there's really been um, a really great interest in, in doing this that I think that it's kind of built as, as time has gone by, the more people get interested. Mm. Um, and so I, you know, I would recommend to, to anyone that's interested in doing this and in finding some community partners um, that So a historical that society is one of those yeah, logical partners. Absolutely, yep. absolutely. But I think that there's probably room to do this in, in different angles um, with different community partners, I think that, um, you know, I think that there was kind of a, a feeling of a need for it on Swans Island because they had lost the collection in the fire. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think afterwards, uh, you know, Sunny, maybe I'm taking your words out of your mouth that I've once heard you say, but that this was really... Um, the work we've done has almost gone far away and above what the collection used to be. Mm -hmm. um, and and I think that that energy from these stories and things like that, um, there doesn't have to be some great loss uh, in your community to do something like this. Um, I think that every community would benefit <coughs> from um, hearing the, the voices of the people that live there, um, uh, you know, I mean, we focused on uh, an older generation and getting the stories from people who, um, you know, there's a fear that we won't have them at, uh, at our access in, in the near future. And so there was kind of a, mm -hmm. a pressing concern to get to them first. Um, but I think that it's it's certainly worthwhile to hear from um, all kinds of people in your community. Mm. Um, Donna, how, how have, have community members kind of received this project? And and one question I had is, is what are young people thinking about this project? Are you involving them or would you involve them in as the project moves ahead? Well, I think the community is, has been very supportive of the project as a whole. And um, sometimes in a small community, it's it's really it's really hard to draw volunteers out because you just don't have that many people to mm. ask to volunteer their time. And I think that um, after last summer's presentations to the community, people were so excited about this that they did want to be involved. And um, Megan has done a really great job at training volunteers and r most recently offering the class so that people could learn how to do the interviewing and, um, and <coughs> so that, you know, we can continue this work. And I just think it's it's just overall has had tremendous community support, um, you know, really from everybody. And it's it's it was really nice to see last year when she did the first show, to see so many lobstermen walk through the door. You know, they're busy in the summertime. They're tired at the end of a, a long day of haul, and they got to get up early the next morning. And you know, to have a presentation at night that starts at seven o'clock. Well, they're headed to bed at that point. And it was really wonderful to see, you know, the, the you know those those folks come in because really the, the, it is it's their history it's not necessarily so much the history of the summer residents that come there um, but it's the history of the people who have lived there whose fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers have been there so it's it I, I think that all told you know the whole community has been behind this project and will continue to be behind this project and I think that the credit of that goes to Megan mm. she's you know come into the community and it's kind of hard to come into a community and be the new person there and it's even doubly hard to come into the community and be the new person holding a great big microphone in front of people's faces and saying, tell me your story. And she's done a great job with that, and people have been uh, very welcoming to her. And she's been very respectful of the people whose stories she's been able to gather. Mm. Sonny, what, what do you sense um, will happen with, with this project going <coughs> forward? How, do, how would you like to see it develop? I think it will go forward. Uh, I think we'll put an effort on gaining more information, uh, much more, uh, and uh, hopefully be able to present it to the public in, 
in some shape or form. Mm. How that will be, I don't exactly know. But one thing I would like to mention, we've been talking to Megan and Donna and myself, that Gwen has been a very big part of this. And Megan probably can name some others that, have, and Dexter has, but there are others that work with the cataloging and things that I know nothing about. Yeah, we have but some really hardworking, dedicated um, yeah. volunteers that transcribe and scan mm -hmm. images and catalog images into our um, database. Um, Anne Marie McGuire and Bev McLoon and Tom McLoon and um, Stevie. Jo We've got people who live far away, Stevie Joyce and uh, Molly Bryan, who are not even on the island and managed to help us <laughs> put in a lot of time. So there's there's a lot of people behind this project. So when you talk about transcriptions, that's 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 what happens after the interview. Yeah. You um, try to um, get all this down in a, in a typed version. Somebody types out every mm. word that they utter mm -hmm. in a two-hour interview. It can take eight to 20 hours to do mm -hmm. one interview to transcribe mm -hmm. it. So, yeah. And where is it all kept? Uh, how, how do you rest st storing it? We uh, Presently, everything uh, everything is digital. We have a lot of um, uh, things stored on hard drives in a few different locations and um, on CDs. And um, we, before I depart, there will be some more physical copies that are accessible to the community mm -hmm. of transcriptions and things mm -hmm. like that. So, and and is the historical society linked to the library um, at this point, or do you have separate separate quarters? Um, currently, we um, we are operating out of the town office okay. right now. Yep. And um, the library is also operating out of the town office. Uh, Megan uh, alluded to the fire where everything was lost, and I don't know if we really addressed that at the beginning, but. Um, uh, that was July 2008, and that's that's when the historical collection uh, was was lost to the fire that burnt down the Swans Island Library. So we've been housed in the town office, very very cramped quarters, uh, no doubt about it. But it's worked really well for us, and um, and people are are comfortable coming in the town office and 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 bringing in their photo collections to share and, and sharing and sharing with us. Mm, I want to ask a little bit more about the photo collections in a moment, but I'll remind listeners they can participate as well by calling 1-866-625-9378 to participate in this morning's uh, Talk of the Towns. And we do have a caller on the line. If you'd give us your first name and the town you're calling from and then your question or comment, please. Thanks. Hi, good morning. I'm Stanley from Newcastle, and I had a question for Sonny. I had a good friend that ran a ferry service off of Swans Island on the salmon farm, company called Boston Water Bus, and apparently they had to live out on the island in some family's home. And I wonder if Sonny remembered them because they did a lot of work when the salmon farm was first established. When the salmon farm was first established, I wasn't there. That was probably in 1988 or 89. I didn't get involved until 2003, but I honestly can't remember that because I really wasn't around too much. But um, I'm glad you have memories of of Swan's Island and the salmon farm because it was quite a thing. Two of my friends uh, that worked, well, Peter owns the company, and his, his first mate used to always say to me, you have to go to Swan's Island. And <laughs> they spoke, you know, really highly of it, and they had a really great time. And, you know, they, they gave up the contract at some point. The logistics were hard, but uh, yeah. made me want to go to Swan's Island. Now that I've heard the show, I'm definitely going to have to go. So, Well, you, you get in your car, you come right down to Ellsworth. Yeah. Head down to Mount Desert Island, go right straight through, right over to Bass Harbor, and jump on the Main State Ferry Service. And there's plenty of room, believe me. All right, yeah. Yeah, and they really loved the family they stayed with, too. Uh, so. Who'd they stay with, you know? Uh, I really, see, I can't remember that, but they used to say they had to stay in a private home, and it was like, you know, yeah. very nice. Well, listen, thank you, and thank to everybody for doing this work, because it's got to be done, and uh, hopefully I'll see you on Swan's Island. Right. Thank Look you. Look us up. Thank, Thank you. you so much for your call this morning. I think we're just about out of time because we want to close with a special kind of uh, <coughs> connection. And, and who wants to introduce <coughs> this? Is Sonny going to introduce this piece about the Thanksgiving? Yeah. Um, I'm, I think I'm going to defer to Sonny to, to set us up for this piece if we can. It's a tradition on Swans Island that, right. that people um, should know about. I don't know how many years it's gone on, but Paul Joy and others came up with a Thanksgiving on Swans Island the week before Thanksgiving, the Friday before Thanksgiving, and it's turned into one of the best things that happens on Swans Island is a Thanksgiving dinner.
our supper at the school, and I think it was 250 plates or something this past year, and we got, you know, 350 people in town. Uh, it's a pretty good turnout. We have people from the mainland that come, come on, relatives and whatnot, and it's a, uh, you just go and there's most of the, one of the best times you'll have is just sitting down and talking with your neighbor and and looking across the table and saying how lucky you are to be there. Mm. So let's hear that piece. There's 15 turkeys to make this go off. So we try to get 15 turkeys and we've used up every oven in the island. <laughs> we can't take credit for any of the food because the ladies make it all, so at least we can serve them. How's that? This is Joe Staples here with the only electric knife and it's really busy. I'm the slicer and they're the dicer. So, okay, all right, sir, will you tell me about how you killed all these turkeys? Oh, I tell you, I, I, I hung them. Mm-hmm. How long did it take you? Oh, just one at a time. <laughs> Not too bad. A couple hours. No, I didn't. <laughs> I'm not telling you the truth. I might be, I might be lying just a whisker. <laughs> well, I'm attempting to open cranberry cans, but it's harder than it looks. <laughs> this needs the commercialized can opener. Oh. Okay, put it down. Slam it down gently. Yeah. All right, all the way down, Mike. All the way down, and then rotate. Last year I was cutting turkeys. This year they got me out front, so I must have gotten more beautiful in the, in the space of one year. This is a chocolate cake, maybe a butterscotch, but I'm guessing. <laughs> Strawberry rhubarb pie, I know that that is. Mince meat pie, pumpkin pie, pecan pie, chocolate cream, and apple. Which ones are you going to eat? Wow, now that's a tough question. Uh, maybe some of each. No. <laughs> Pecan, probably. Anybody, anybody that's sick? Okay. Before we ask the blessing, but before we do, I want uh, anybody here thankful for, for something. What would you be thankful for? Let me start it out. I'm thankful for family. How's that? Yes? Thankful to be here. Okay. Thankful to be here. Earl says he's thankful to be anywhere. Is that what he said? <laughs> Alright. Thank you, Lord, for all the blessings that have been uh, enumerated here tonight. We thank you, Lord, for this meal that's being prepared. We thank you for the fellowship that will happen here. Bless it to us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Come right along, Johnny, and show these guys will steal you. I'm thankful for my family and how they make my life better just by their presence. I could say I'm most thankful for all my friends, especially on Swans Island, and all the people that have come through my life. What am I thankful for? This beautiful November weather. Any day you can get 50 degrees in November, it's beautiful. It takes away from the long, cold winter. I'm thankful we're a free country. My family. My family. My mother's health and my health. That we can all be together and celebrate and just Sit down and yeah. <laughs> no, this is really neat. The men started that, Paul started, and now we won't let him stop. That's the best. We won't let him stop. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, last words. Um, I'll, I'll start with Sonny and, and uh, work our way around. Um, what's your hope for this, this kind of work in the future? Well, I'm hoping that someday we'll have someone as efficient as Megan's been. <laughs> She's really been great. Mm. Thank you, Megan. Mm. Thanks, I'd like to just counter what Sunny said there. Uh, uh, she has been great, and we never would have started anything like this, rebuilding a historical collection, if it wasn't for Megan's arrival on Swans Island. Mm, so we can thank both Megan and the Island Institute for, for having this program that brings young people to these communities and says, do something good. Exactly. <laughs> That's great. And Megan? 
Um, I think that what made this project really possible uh, was uh, the spirit of community on this island that is so pervasive and, and how people are really willing to participate and, um, and help out. Mm. So mm. it's really nice to see. Thank you. We've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. And we especially thank those of you who called in last week and pledged your support. It really helps to keep this radio station and this program on the air. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balnain House Highland Music recording. Thanks once again to our guests in the studio, Sonny Sprague and Donna Weigel of the Swans Island Historical Society, and an island fellow who's been working with the Swans Island Memory Project, Megan Vigent. Thanks to those of you who listened and called in. Thanks to our wonderful underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program, and stay tuned for um, On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Mm-hmm.